By now, you've probably heard. 65 countries representing 83% of international aviation have agreed to cap their greenhouse gas emissions from international flights at 2020 levels from 2021 onward, a decision that could reduce global greenhouse gas emissions by 2.5 billion tons of carbon dioxide through 2035, in part by helping to save forests and support sustainable agriculture around the world. But it's not as simple as it sounds, and it sounds anything but. Man may be unwittingly changing the world's climate through the waste products of his civilization. There's a group of us now who are proposing that the Earth has actually entered a new epoch, and that is the Anthropocene. We know that the enemy is carbon, and we know it's ugly face. We should put a big fat price on it, and of course, add to that, drop the subsidies. Earth, we broke it, we own it, and nothing is as it was. Not the trees, not the seas, not the forests, farms, or fields, and not the global economy that depends on all of these. But we can restore it, make it better, greener, more resilient, more sustainable. But how? Technology? Geoengineering? Are we doomed to live on a bionic planet, or is nature itself the answer? That's the question we address in every episode of Bionic Planet, a podcast of the Anthropocene, the new epoch defined by man's impact on Earth. And today we take stock of a groundbreaking agreement that the International Civil Aviation Organization reached yesterday in Montreal. They go by the initials ICAO, pronounced ICAO, which is part of the United Nations that deals with air traffic. They're also charged with reducing greenhouse gas emissions from international flights, emissions which, like those from international shipping, were left in a kind of limbo by the Paris Agreement because they're international and their emissions couldn't be charged to any specific country. On Thursday, ICAO agreed to cap emissions at 2020 levels from 2021 onward, no matter how high air traffic goes. And the emissions will be charged to specific routes, depending on which countries those routes enter. And I'll explain that in more detail later. It begins with a voluntary phase that runs from 2021 through 2026 and becomes mandatory after that. But even then, there will be some exemptions for poorer countries. Despite that, 65 countries have already signed on for the voluntary phase, so it's off to a good start. But here's another twist. Airlines will be able to offset emissions through something called the Carbon Offsetting and Reduction Scheme for International Aviation, or C-O-R-S-I-A, pronounced CORSIA, which could end up putting a lot of money into environmental programs. Today we speak with Arjun Potney, Policy Director of the American Carbon Registry, and Jos Konziesen, an environmental attorney based in Utrecht in the Netherlands, to get a handle on what this means for Earth's living ecosystems. I'm a bit jet-lagged today because I just flew from Amsterdam to Chicago via Istanbul. It was a cheap flight, $500 round trip, but it had an environmental cost. And I'm on the website of a company called My Climate, trying to figure out what that cost is. Now, I found this by Googling Flight Carbon Emissions Calculator. And it lets me click on the little airplane and then enter from Amsterdam, skip all, okay, to Chicago. Let's see, where's O'Hare? Okay, way down the list. Via Istanbul, 
Ataturk Airport, round trip, economy class, one passenger, and calculate. That's 4.2 metric tons of carbon dioxide on this one flight. At the bottom of the page, they say that to end climate change, we have to each emit an average of two tons per person per year. I just doubled that on this one flight. In between the calculation and the thing at the bottom, they offer me a chance to offset my emissions by supporting environmental projects that reduce greenhouse gases. Here's one that works by distributing clean-burning cook stoves in Kenya so farmers can heat their homes and cook their food without chopping firewood. Another one that helps Nicaraguan farmers plant trees, which absorb carbon dioxide. But I'm going to do a different one. I'm going to a site called Code Red. That's C-O-D-E-R-E-D-D.org. Red stands for Reducing Emissions from Deforestation and Degradation. So these are projects that work by saving endangered forest. I hover over projects and see one called Choco Darien in Colombia. I've researched this one. We've written about it at Ecosystem Marketplace, so I know how they work. won't go into that now, but I click on Support This Project, and I buy four tons using PayPal, and I'm done. That was super simple for me, but I know a lot went into creating those offsets. The Afro-Caribbean community along the Tolo River had to first identify the causes of deforestation in their region. Then they had to quantify the amount of carbon dioxide that deforestation emitted. They had to come up with a plan for ending it. They had to demonstrate that they needed the carbon payments to end it, all using detailed methodologies developed under the verified carbon standard. This is a forest carbon project, and these projects are effective in small areas, but they have one major weakness. Namely, if the deforestation they prevent just ends up moving someplace else, then they haven't actually reduced emissions. They just displaced it. This is called leakage, and the project developer has to account for it and remove it from their totals. Now, if the Tolo River people reduce emissions by becoming better at managing their own land, there is no leakage. But if they reduce emissions by keeping other farmers off their land, then there might be. It's complicated, which is why the Paris Climate Agreement only recognizes forest carbon offsets that are part of so-called jurisdictional approaches that cover entire countries. In actual fact, it doesn't recognize any offsets yet, but it does establish a framework within which countries can create offsets after 2020, and negotiations from now to 2018 will focus on turning that framework into agreed-on rules. The problem with jurisdictional forest carbon approaches, then, is that the rules aren't there yet. Thursday's agreement says that airlines can use offsets to reduce their emissions, but ICAO negotiators like those under the UNFCCC also won't agree on what offsets count until the end of 2018. And there's huge disagreement over which ones should and shouldn't count. Then there's the question of how to promote early action, how to get airlines to reduce emissions before 2020. And when you're looking at forest carbon or any kind of forest activity, that's where projects may come in. 
Every year, Ecosystem Marketplace publishes the State of Forest Carbon Finance Report, and the next one is coming out at the end of this month. Our research shows that these individual projects are conserving more forest land than you'll find in the entire Democratic Republic of Congo. But they're also struggling to stay afloat. If they can't sell offsets, then they can't keep up their conservation efforts, and much of the forest land they plan to conserve could end up being lost. So there are proposals, purportedly backed by the airlines, to promote early action by letting airlines buy project-based offsets before 2020 that can be used towards their targets after 2020. The state of California used a similar process to get companies involved in its cap-and-trade initiative before they had to, and it worked well. Unfortunately, these ICAO negotiations are incredibly opaque. I've gotten this from sources I trust, but it's unofficial. I have no idea how it will all play out. For now, what's certain is this. Countries have agreed that emissions from international airlines will stop growing in 2020. They purged a reference to the 1.5 to 2 degree target that the Paris Agreement set. So that target is no longer explicit in the ICAO agreement, but it's still the overriding commitment that countries made under the Paris Agreement. If airline emissions are allowed to rise, others will have to fall. The trading program, that's Corsia, starts with a voluntary pilot phase from 2021 to 2023, where they test things out. And then a second voluntary phase from 2024 through 2027, with all countries but the poorest obligated to join from 2027 through 2035, at which point we should be moving to even more aggressive emission reductions. The word voluntary can be a bit misleading because once a country opts to participate in the voluntary phase, its participation becomes binding. And 65 countries have already said they would do that. And these countries together account for about 83% of air traffic, which is measured in something called revenue ton kilometers, or RTKs. RTKs basically translate into one ton of load per kilometer traveled, and that load can be human passengers or cargo. It's all the same from an environmental impact perspective. The Environmental Defense Fund has a nifty tracking tool, which you can find by Googling ICAO's market-based measure. And it shows that with the countries that have committed so far, the Corsia, remember that's the name of the market-based measure, covers 65% of emissions growth in phase one and 79% in phase two. That's not enough to fix the mess, but it's a workable start. The emission caps won't be applied to airlines or countries, but to routes. The airlines, however, will then have to pay based on a complex formula that takes into account their size and their overall emission increase. Corsia will only apply to routes between countries that have joined. For example, both the United States and China say they will join from phase one. So all flights between the two countries will be subject to the cap from 2021 onward. A flight between China and an exempt country like Uganda won't be subject to Corsia, but the airline will have to account for the emissions from that flight. In fact, all airlines will have to account for all emissions from all flights. If all this sounds complicated, it is. And here's where a bit of history might help. I started trying to get my head around this back in August, and I had a great conversation with our first guest, Arjun Putney, Policy Director of the American Carbon Registry which develops guidelines for carbon offset projects and then issues the offsets, which means they oversee the third-party verifiers and then list the offsets in the registry, which is a way of track so the same offset isn't counted twice. Then, yesterday, right when the talks ended, I caught up to Jos Konzainen, a former Dutch climate negotiator who now consults groups like Environmental Defense Fund. We'll go to Jos in a bit, but I thought it might be helpful 
to start with Arjun because he talked mostly about the past and how we got here, which is really interesting and important. You may recall, for example, that a few years back, the European Union was going to unilaterally start charging airlines for the emissions generated by flights coming into or out of the European economic area. Airlines went ape, and ICAO promised to come up with a plan that the Europeans could live with. It's a conversation I found quite helpful, and I hope you do too, even if it is two months old. Aviation is kind of looming large in all this, but it only contributes about 2% to global emissions. Uh, why has it drawn so much attention? Well, uh, I mean, for a couple of reasons. Um, the, the climate impact is actually uh, greater than that 2%, 2 suggests uh, due to other emissions, for example, nitrous oxides and water vapor, and the difference in the climate impact due to uh, releases at higher altitudes. Um, the actual uh, global warming effect is somewhat higher. Uh, estimates are between uh, 3 and 5 percent um, of, of the total impact of all uh, greenhouse gases uh, emitted. Um, another reason is that air traffic is expected to increase substantially in the coming years. Um, uh, perhaps something in the range of 3.5% uh, a year. I've, I've heard uh, larger numbers. But that would uh, result in about a doubling of emissions uh, over 20 years. Um, so uh, the climate impact is uh, higher than the actual emissions suggest. Uh, air traffic is growing as well. Uh, it could easily become a significantly larger share than it is now. Uh, and um, as it stands... Uh, if today's aviation sector uh, CO2 emissions were uh, the emissions of a country, uh, they would rank as um, seventh uh, in the world. Um, so it's, uh, it's not a, an insignificant um, portion of the problem. And that's really interesting, too, that the impact is about 1.5 to more than 2. I mean, you know, it's, to go from... 2% to 3% to 5% means you have to multiply it by either 1.5 or, or, or multiples of that to get the actual impact. That, uh, I didn't realize that. Now, now what is um, ICAO? I know it's part of the United Nations, but I, I'm not really sure where it fits in with the Paris Agreement. The, the problem is that um, international emissions, international aviation emissions, uh, meaning you know, flights from one country to another country, don't actually uh, feature in the Paris Agreement. So uh, you have to look all the way back at the Kyoto Protocol in 1997, and that's the agreement that kicked aviation emissions over to uh, ICAO, the International Civil Aviation Organization. Um, I mean, that, that text was specific to emissions associated with uh, developed countries, um, aviation emissions associated with developed countries, uh, though ICAO is now addressing it uh, more broadly than that. But, uh, ICAO is um, a specialized agency of the United Nations, uh, established in um, 1944 to, uh, to harmonize um, uh, how aviation uh, is managed in all sorts of different ways around the world uh, and to establish sort of the, the global framework uh, for doing so. So, you know, now, um, climate change has become part of their purview as well. Okay. 
So ICAO has responsibility for international emissions and domestic flights are then charged to the country within which they fly. So if I fly from Chicago to Los Angeles, it's considered a U.S. emission. And if I fly from Chicago to Berlin, it's nobody's emissions, right? That's right, yeah. And I can't speak to whether every country is, in fact, including domestic aviation emissions in their national greenhouse gas inventories, although that would make sense. Um, uh, but, um, but, yeah, that's how it should be. Uh, it should be broken apart. Okay. And how does it work within the European Union? My, my understanding of this is that within the European Union, if I fly from Germany to France, that those are charged to... They're, they're somehow accounted for. Can you maybe explain that? I'm, I'm foggy on that. Sure, yeah. So um, uh, all the flights um, within the European Union, and actually an area slightly larger than that, the European Economic Area, um, uh, are regulated under the, the uh, EU's emissions trading system. So the, the European Economic Area, the EEA, is all the EU countries plus uh, three more, Iceland, Liechtenstein, and, and Norway. Um, and so um, all the flights in, in that area fall under the uh, EU emissions trading system, which is a, a, a cap, the cap-and-trade system in Europe. Uh, so um, even though those are international, um, those, those flights are encompassed in that program. Okay. And, and how, how does it – are they charged to specific countries? I'm, I'm not, like if I fly from Germany to France, does Germany – get charged, or does France get charged, or is it the whole European Union that gets, or the whole EEA that gets charged? Oh, right. Okay. So, um, uh, I believe it's the individual carriers that um, Mm -hmm. uh, are charged with, um, you know, the responsibility for those emissions, just as uh, across the EU ETS, um, the the emitters, the compliance entities, whether they be, you know, um, uh, a coal-fired power plant, or um, you know, a, a cement plant. Um, you know, they have um, responsibility to um, account for their emissions in the cap and trade program. So I believe it's the same way for the air carriers uh, that are flying within um, the European Economic Area. Okay, and and there was there was supposed to be. Um, I think in 2012 they were talking about. Uh, or the European Union was was talking about also um, accounting for emissions into the EEA and out of the EEA, and there was a big row about that. And that, you know, there, there, uh, one 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 day they were saying we're going to go ahead and uh, and uh, account for these emissions, and then it was off the table. What what exactly happened there? Yeah. So. Um, yes, EU officials uh, had announced that uh, emissions. For all flights, not just within their region, but going in and out of Europe, would be covered uh, by the EU ETS. Um, and uh, you know, I, I will say that 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 followed um, a long period um, during which ICAO was expected to um, address this issue. And uh, I think it's very fair to say that progress had been. Um, very slow. I mean, even in, in 2001, uh, ICAO had um, put forth that they would uh, use some sort of emissions trading system to uh, address international aviation emissions, and it it, uh, it had yet to um, have 
had, had, had yet to happen. Um, so uh, EU leaders announced that uh, EU ETS would cover flights going into and out of uh, their region from January 1st, 2012. Uh, that prompted vociferous opposition from a number of other countries, uh, including the U.S. Uh, in fact, um, here in the U.S., uh, the House and Senate passed and President Obama signed uh, the EU ETS Prohibition Act of 2011, uh, which empowered the Secretary of Transportation to prohibit U.S. carriers from participating in the EU ETS. And uh, China objected that the EU ETS's application uh, was at odds with uh, the UNFCCC's principle of common but differentiated responsibilities. Uh, ICAO adopted a declaration uh, opposing inclusion of non-EU carriers, uh, China, India, and Saudi Arabia. Uh, they they uh, prohibited their airlines from complying with the EU ETS. Uh, so, uh, and there were other countries also that, that objected. Uh, there was wide-ranging um, uh, opposition from other countries, not all, but many other countries, to uh, participating. Um, in the in the UETS, and uh, a lot of the arguments were around uh, sovereignty, um, some around uh, trade issues uh, as well. But the uh, the upshot of this was that it um, created much more commitment from ICAO to addressing uh, this issue, and so EU officials relented. They said that you know contingent on uh, ICAO uh, developing a credible plan to address international aviation emissions, uh, they would postpone application of the EU ETS. Uh, initially, uh, it was by a year, so just to 2013, and then there was an additional extension to um, January 1st, 2017, uh, before which they would need to be shown a plan and, and be convinced that there would be a uh, a credible approach within international aviation to to address those emissions outside of the EU ETS. Okay, and that's how we we've gotten to where we're at now, where ICAO had this big meeting in May, and I know that they're presenting a plan to the European Union in October. Uh, I guess uh, presumably about what's going to happen at the beginning uh, beginning of 2017, but I'm I'm not clear on what we know about what their plan is and and what we don't know about what's in this plan. What, We'll come back to Arjun in a bit, but first, let me go to Yoss. I caught up to him by Skype, and the connection is a bit off. We also got into some fairly wonky stuff, and I was struggling to understand it, but I think you'll get the gist. I'll break a lot of this down into simpler coverage on ecosystem marketplace as it sinks in. I started out by asking if he'd characterize the reasoning as being like that of Paris, namely, you get what you can now, and then make very, very clear the need and means of beefing it up later. It's exactly like Paris. It's voluntarily beginning, uh, but every 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 three years you're going come together trying to ratchet it up the same as uh, the Paris Agreement is doing. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Paris Agreement has has the has the real global targets about one and a half and two degrees. The NDCs are also not sufficient at the moment. Right. But you slowly work together. You come together. It's not 2020 at all at the moment. So you can slowly bump it up and ratchet it up. So that's that's good, I think. Um, the same you could tell about this IKEA uh, resolution. It's voluntarily, 
but many joined already from the beginning. This is good. Eh? For example, mm -hmm. China did. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that's good. And um, yeah, the aviation airlines will find out that it's not too complicated mm -hmm. to calculate the emissions, that, that it's not too expensive to compensate for your emissions. So yeah, it's 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 starting. It's it's a system now, and that's good. And of course, we we, we I mean, I didn't expect that would be a pilot phase because you're right; it's not 2020 yet. And uh, come on, the the EU has already this system. But of course, most other nations don't have any system of monitoring emissions yet. So they try to to get more yeah, comfortable first with the system, and that that's fine. And so now you have a global system. Slowly, the coverage will increase. And yeah, there's a chance for nations to, to be a leader, to show how it works, how it can be done. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, uh, comparable with, with Paris, plus that finally aviation has to pay for emissions, which is mm -hmm. good. And then like if, if a country does opt in, then when they do... Okay. If you say you join, it's mandatory, right? Okay. Okay. It's voluntary to join, but if you're in, you're in. Huh? Okay. I mean, uh, because otherwise you can't uh, ask people to pay for it. Huh? Mm -hmm. If uh, if a Chinese if a Chinese company says, "Oh yeah, you give me money," and then uh, the Chinese company is do not doing anything with it, I mean, it's 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 in or out. Huh? Mm -hmm. So voluntarily, but if but if you're in, you you then it's then it's work then it's working. Mm -hmm. the, the same with Paris agree same with Paris huh? mm -hmm. all the NDCs are binding so mm -hmm. if you're in you're in and then it's binding so that, that's good and it's all about routes so uh, the all the routes if China is in that means all the routes to and from uh, China are, are in depending on uh, how many uh, yeah aviation comes from a specific country if it's a poorer country that's the RTK thing eh? mm -hmm. so all the biggest uh, the biggest uh, yeah, countries are are, are in. Uh, there are some tricky things like, well, it depends on the aviation companies, not the country emissions. So you have, for example, the Brazilian biggest uh, aviation company is uh, joined together with a Chilean company, and it's based in Chile. So the emissions are not part of Brazil, but Chile. So there are some strange things. Eh? It's not national emissions. It's, it's the, the, the companies that earn a certain, a certain amount of GDP. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, that, that's all the nitty gritty. I mean, I'm glad with the start, and now you can slowly, slowly build it up. And so you could say it's now it's now a closed system. Huh? Mm -hmm. And you could of course say, why don't we have that this 1.2, uh, 1.5, and two degrees target in the text? It wasn't the resolution. Um, yeah, as you heard the the president saying, well, we first want to get to grips to what the emissions are before we have our own target. But it doesn't really matter because the global target, including international aviation emissions, of course, the one and a half degrees and two degrees, it's under the Paris Agreement. That's already there. Mm -hmm. So I, I sometimes I sometimes tell that well, although the aviation uh, target is not in line with Paris, this means that other sectors should do more. So mm -hmm. and apparently we all we all governments have said well, uh, leave aviation alone a little bit because it's very important for us. Mm -hmm. uh, so we will we will try to meet our targets with other sectors. I mean th that's fine if if that's what you want, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the end game is of course zero and twenty one hundred. There shouldn't be any emissions anymore. Yeah. So so there is some kind of end game, right? And mm -hmm. you you cannot compensate forever. You can only compensate for a while. I mean climate neutral growth uh, that's good for now, but after twenty fifty fifty it should go down and then mm -hmm. get to zero and twenty one hundred. So, uh, so this is good to keep to realize that there's the global commitment by all nations, and apparently, 
yeah, the sector is a, is a little bit weird sector. It's a bit different. Uh, uh, and uh, apparently, you and me, we allow them to, yeah, have, a, have an easier job. You see it every, with, with many issues, with VAT, with taxation. Apparently, that's so important. I mean, I mean we all fly. We all fly cheap. Mm. So apparently, we all uh, want them to give some, <laughs> some, some freedom to maneuver. But that means we need to do it from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And, or and we this just is, need to uh, accept more. I mean, when 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 flight prices go up, I mean, I just I just booked two round trips uh, from Chicago to Amsterdam, and each one was five hundred bucks. I mean, that's that's now amazing. Uh, yeah? But other times of year, other times it's a thousand, and the cost of offsetting is so minuscule compared to those other huge fluctuations it, it's it almost it really shouldn't matter right i mean that's well wait a minute it's it's per person i mean that's yeah. fine it, mm. it, 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 per person is, is completely not relevant at the moment mm. if you do it you need to pay more huh? right. because it's only one offset for you huh? right but if you separate it out and this shows the efficiency of the huge airplanes of course huh? mm-hmm. if it's only a few dollar per person i mean that, that's fine it's the same with if you 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 ship t- t-shirts from china it's per uh, per T-shirt only a few grams of CO2. Mm-hmm. You can say hey, it's only one cent. Yeah, but, but that's what it is, right? Mm-hmm. That's what mm-hmm. it is. So that, that that's fine. Don't don't look too much to the numbers. It's about the CO2 target and and uh, what other people also sometimes say. Well, it's billions of of dollars that go to developing countries for their mm-hmm. projects. So yeah, that's good. Right? Yeah. They were reticent to talk about the type of offsets that could be recognized, and everybody is talking yeah, about Yeah, exactly, yeah. Everyone's talking about red. Now, yeah. we're, we're going to have this committee, and they're going to decide in 2018. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any indication? About the emission units. Right, right. They've got some that they're going to recognize emission units that are recognized under the FCCC, and then they might also recognize additional units. Oh, yeah, maybe that is, uh, you can think of European cap-and-trade system that has allowances uh, that mm-hmm. come from, from the national uh, emission budget mm-hmm. or California allowances uh, mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with the UN. Mm-hmm. And there were the CDM mechanism and cooperative approaches. There you have the UN in some kind of lead. Mm-hmm. So uh, if, you think of it, if you think of ITMOs, uh, ITMO, right, right. if that right. comes from the US or, or, or the EU, that can be used. So it's, it's like... It's like an allowances, part of a mm-hmm. national system, and credits that come from the UN. The, the UNFCC regime and the EK regime should be fine-tuned, eh? that mm-hmm. you don't have double counting, that you, that you use each other. So if a credit comes from the UNFCC, from the registry, it should be cancelled from their registry if it goes to EKO, for example. Mm-hmm. Then you have a closed system, a double, double entry bookkeeping. Right, um, but what you and and I I would like also red credits being part of the potential uh, reductions uh, Ikeo can buy, but mm-hmm. then those reductions should be uh, added to a national inventory, of course. Eh? You started to talk about nesting, and I cut you off. Could you maybe what were you going to say? Yeah, so that's um, very. I mean, in the resolution, it also says credits should come from a nation. Huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And not not from like the VCS, for example. If you mm-hmm. just buy a VCS credit or a gold standard credit, yeah, that comes then from out of nowhere. You, mm-hmm. you you need to you need to know for sure if it really reduces the emissions in a sector or in a nation. So and that's the nested approach. And right. That's good. Huh? Mm-hmm. And that that's what all the provinces are doing in Brazil. That's uh, what other nations are doing. So so that's fine. If I understand you correctly, you're saying that. A project like a VCS project can work as long as its 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 emissions are factored into the jurisdictional effort 
you know, so, so that there's no leakage and that it somehow contributes to the jurisdictional le- or you say exactly. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, right. that's exactly. There shouldn't be any leakage. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Right. And, and especially if the credit now goes out of the UNFC into EKO, right? then yeah. then it's then it's even better that you don't have only individual projects which are, have reduced emissions to EKO. Mm-hmm. But when you look back and the countries say, huh, "What's happening? Those countries are only uh, increasing deforestation." Huh? Mm-hmm. So some some pockets are okay. Mm-hmm. EKO is buying them. But the net result is negative, and mm. you can't have that, of course. So that, that's the reasoning behind this. That's Dutch environmental attorney Jos Konzinen, and we actually had a long digression into, Bra- into Brazil's specific reservation of the agreement, which I snipped out to avoid confusion. It's something worth exploring in a standalone piece. Now let's go to the second half of my conversation with Arjun, keeping in mind that we spoke back in August. So this conversation is two months old, but I hope you still find it informative. Do you, what can we expect to hear when they present this plan in October? What's happening in late September and early October is that the, the that, that ICAO will have the 39th Triennial Assembly. You know, all 191 member states and various international organizations will convene in Montreal. Uh, they each of the member states has one vote, uh, and they they address a whole range of issues at uh, these. Uh, at these gatherings every three years. Uh, one of those issues is going to be um, the, the global market-based mechanism, the plan to, uh, to address uh, aviation emissions. Um, so uh, the expectation is that they will pass uh, this, uh, uh, this resolution. After ICAO adopts the uh, resolution covering a, a global market-based mechanism for international aviation emissions. Uh, EU leaders will review that sometime in the fall, um, and it will be to them to decide um, whether to um, go ahead with applying the EU ETS to international aviation emissions uh, from January 1st, 20, 2017, or whether to um, put that aside. And, uh, and, and let the ICAO process continue as the um, process for all uh, international aviation emissions outside of the EU. Ah, okay. That explains, because I think I had a misunderstanding there. So, so ICAO is working towards, this is a global agreement they're talking about, and the question now is just how it, how it will fit in to the European Union and, and whether, and whether it, the EU ETS will, will be a part of it. Is that... Am I ac- is that accurate or am I... Right. I mean, so, so there um, has been um, some uh, tweaking of the language uh, within the resolution, um, which appears to have been an effort by some parties uh, for ICAO's plan to um, uh, apply also to flights between European countries and displace the application of the EU ETS even to those flights. But um, from the most recent text, that does not appear to be uh, the direction things are going. It appears that the EU ETS would at least still apply to flights uh, between European countries, Um, but ICAO's plan would apply to um, international flights, whether they go into or out of Europe or whether they're 
uh, between um, other countries. Okay, okay. And um, now, and they 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 come up with this plan. What happens if the European What happens if the European Union rejects the plan? Well, that's a great question. <laughs> um, so if they reject it, then um, uh, the plan has been that the EU ETS would uh, take effect over all flights going into and out of Europe, just as it was supposed to have done on January first, twenty twelve. Yeah, I think we have to wait and see what their um, what the sentiment is. I, I, I've seen some mixed signals. There have been some concerns that um, ICAO's plan uh, is not um, as aggressive as the uh, EU ETS and as as the EU's uh, climate goals are. Um, uh, ICAO uh, has put forth uh, what they call an aspirational goal for um, uh, flattening out emissions at 2020 uh, levels um, as opposed to um, uh, a reduction in those absolute levels of emissions. But you know, there have recently been signals from Brussels that, um, that they would like to, um, to see uh, the plan that comes out of I ICAO um, uh, be the, the plan that um, actually uh, is employed. Uh, there is a certain advantage to that uh, for global aviation emissions, even if it is um, less aggressive than um, the uh, the EU's mm -hmm. goals, and that is that it does. ICAO's plan will cover flights uh, not just in and out of Europe, um, but uh, a lot more flights as well. It doesn't cover all international flights. Um, for example, um, flights um, uh, between um, uh, least developed countries uh, would not uh, be covered. Um, uh, countries whose air carriers are covered um, have to be contributing uh, more than a de minimis portion of um, global aviation emissions. Um, and uh, you know, so there are there are a few flights that are not covered, but but by and large, most international aviation uh, would be uh, covered by uh, the plan that ICAO is developing. I've seen estimates that uh, ninety to ninety five percent of international air traffic uh, would be covered uh, by this plan. Okay. And EU ETS isn't the only emissions trading program out there. There's they're popping up all over the place. Is there any idea of how, of how these how these uh, new and existing emissions trading systems might fit in with uh, with the program that ICAO is is going to be proposing? Well, so um, the question is, um, which uh, offsets will be accepted for uh, for use in this program? It's pretty clear that um, the offsets from the Clean Development Mechanism, uh, or CDM, or the successor to CDM um, will be uh, accepted uh, under this um, program. Um, it, things are also moving in the direction that there uh, should be other offsets 
that are uh, accepted. Uh, those could be from uh, the organization I'm with, uh, the American Carbon Registry, or they could be from uh, other registries. But uh, basically what's happening uh, on that side of things is that uh, the emissions unit uh, criteria are being established and the requirements for um, carbon offsets programs uh, are being established. And um, the idea is that programs and uh, offset projects that meet the requirements um, uh, should be acceptable within uh, ICAO's framework for a global market-based mechanism. So, um, uh, you know, it, it'll be CDM, but it, it should be uh, some other offsets aside from those as well. You're listening to Bionic Planet, a podcast of the Anthropocene, the new epoch defined by man's impact on Earth. Do you like what you've heard so far? Do you want to hear more? If so, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and tune in or Stitcher or wherever you access podcasts. And let the good people of the world know about us by leaving an honest review, because it does help. The more good reviews we get, the more ears we get. And the more ears we get, the more minds we get. I'm also looking for sponsors and advertisers because right now Bionic Planet has no funding of its own. It's written by me, produced by me, and hosted by me. And to be honest, every one of these can benefit from additional editing and structure, but I can't do that on my own. If all you do is subscribe, that's great. I'll keep cranking these out with or without support. But if you want to help materially, you can donate at bionic-planet.com. That's bionic-planet.com. If you want to advertise or become a sponsor, email me, stevezwick at steve at bionic-planet.com. Once again, that's steve at bionic-planet.com. And that wraps up this edition of Bionic Planet. Feedback is always welcome. And if you email me an MP3, I may read it on the air. The address again is steve at bionic-planet.com. That's steve at bionic-planet.com. Until next time, I'm Steve Zwick in Chicago. Thanks for listening.